of Hebrews, beginning in verse 14. Fourteenth verse of the twelfth chapter. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears." Ron Dunn tells about going into an electronic shop to make a purchase, and they were having this gigantic sale. And they had this big banner hanging from the ceiling advertising some transistors that were on sale or something. And on this big banner, it, it had these words, um, Guaranteed Forever. Now, Ron said, I stood there a little bit, and I thought, man, that's a pretty good guarantee. You know, guaranteed forever. And he said, I didn't need any of those transistors, but I thought, well, I'm going to get me some of those because I don't know if I've got anything that's guaranteed forever. I'd like to have something that had a forever guarantee. There are some things that we wish were guaranteed forever. You know, your, your health, wouldn't it be great to have a forever guarantee of good health. About the only thing we can do is just get more health insurance to protect ourselves against poor health. Henry Gold likes to say that when you reach 40, there's something new hurts every day. I know the feeling. Health is not guaranteed forever. Your youth, wouldn't it be wonderful if you had the same, you know, forever you had the energy and the enthusiasm and the idealism and the, and the, and the, and the urges that, that are there when you're young and life. But there are very few things that are guaranteed forever in this life. Most of the things that come in this life come not with a guarantee forever, but with a warning label that says, fragile, handle with care. And even though we would never say we would never say it. I believe these things like health and youth and things in life are guaranteed for it. We'd never say that. Most of us live as though we thought these things are guaranteed forever. For most of us handle life with a great deal of neglect and carelessness as though time and opportunity would always be there. I heard about a guy who said he saw in the newspaper an advertisement that, or a notice that this was National Procrastination Week. And the members of the National Procrastinators Club were going to have their annual convention, but they decided to postpone it until next week. I mean, there'll always be time to do that. And among the things that are not guaranteed forever are spiritual opportunities and spiritual blessings. 
I'll always have time for that. And I'll always have these spiritual blessings. They will always be there. And this text, as a matter of fact, everything that's in this chapter is a warning that that's a mistake to think that. And he says, don't remain in the ABCs of the Christian life as though you'll always have the opportunity to move on. You may not. And don't take the grace of God for granted, lest you fall short of the grace of God. That is, lest you fall short of everything that grace expects and wants you to be. Don't you take these spiritual blessings for granted, lest you fall short of everything God wants and expects you to be. And he uses Esau as an example. Esau was a man who fought that he would always have spiritual blessing and spiritual opportunity. Didn't matter how carelessly he lived, he could always pick up where he left off. He was a man who fell short of everything that God expected and wanted him to be, and he sold his birthright. Now what is a birthright? Well, a birthright was what the oldest son received from his father by right of his position. It was really twice as much as anybody in the family received. Remember that. It was a double portion of the blessing of the father by right of his position. In Esau's case, it was simply that which would make him the richest man in the world. It gave him authority and, and power. It made him the head of the family when his father died and the priest of that family and the executor of the estate. It was simply that which propelled him into a position of authority and power and prominence and wealth by right of his position, and he sacrificed it. And when he decided that he wanted that blessing back, he found that it was gone and was not guaranteed forever. Did you know that it is possible for you to sell your birthright as a Christian? No, I didn't say that it's possible for you to, lo to lose your Christianity. I didn't say that at all. I didn't say it's possible for you to lose your sonship. That's a relationship that's a forever guarantee. Esau was the son of his father and that did not change. But it is, it is possible for you to sell the birthright of your Christianity. That is, it is possible for you to forfeit the privileges and prerogatives of your sonship. Now I need to say that again. It is possible for you to forfeit the privileges and the prerogatives of your position in Christ. Now what are some of those privileges and prerogatives? Well, prayer. That is the privilege and the prerogative of our sonship, our position in Christ. It means that you and I have access to God ourselves. We can touch God for ourselves. We can move God for ourselves. God has given us by right of our position the key that unlocks the vault of His resources. In fact, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do it. What He was saying is that the privilege of your sonship is that you can lay hold on the horns of the altar of God and He will literally move heaven and earth to answer your prayer. That's your privilege. Fullness of life is your privilege and prerogative. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it in fullness. Did you know there are some people who live their whole life out and never experience the fullness of God? 
Never know the fullness of Christ. Never know the peace that passes understanding. They forfeit that right. Power with God and with man is a privilege and prerogative. Now we've said many times that the New Testament gives us the principles of the Christian life and the Old Testament gives us the pictures of those principles. And nowhere is there a greater example of this than in Samson, this man who was given the power and authority that would literally move the world. And he forfeited that power and that prerogative for one night of sin. And Paul was so conscious that you can forfeit your privilege and prerogative of sonship that he said, I keep my body in subjection, constantly aware that someday I might be a castaway. Now let me ask you a question. Do you, ever, do you know anybody who just used to just exalt in prayer and they just literally could move the world in prayer and they lost that power? You know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who just, that just lived in the awareness of God and just as though they could reach out and lay hold on Him and touch Him and they no longer have that blessing? You know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who seemed to be endowed with, anointed with power, spiritual power? And they lost that power so that like Samson, their blind, impotent people just grinding round, round, and round, and around. You know anybody like that? It is possible for you to forfeit your birthright as a Christian. Now what kind of a person would forfeit his birthright or forfeit his privilege as a, as a, as a Christian? Well, if Esau is our example, the Scripture says, calls him immoral and godless. Now, it doesn't mean that he is godless in the sense that he has, he's an atheist, that he has no belief in God at all. In fact, if you have a King James Bible, the word there is profane. He was a profane person. Now, that Greek word is a combination word. It's pro, which means before, and fane. And the fane is a reference to the sacred enclosure to that place which is sanctified to God, where only God is allowed. It's that part of the temple, the house of God, where only God was allowed. Nothing else there. Nothing could touch that. It was sanctified, holy to God, and no one else was permitted to be there except God. But before the fane, there was this wide space in front of it where anybody could go, totally secular. I mean, a Gentile could go there and a, and a defiled man could spend his time there. A dog or a goat could wander in this area and it wasn't any problem because in front of the sacred enclosure, in front of the place that sanctified only for God was this secular place which was for everybody, where everybody could go, where that was not enclosed and sanctified to God. You know what he's saying about Esau? He was saying that this man who was willing to sell his birthright was a totally secular man. There was nothing in his life that was reserved only for God. There was no place where only God was allowed. There was nothing in his life where, that was so set apart for God nobody could ever touch. He was like the person 
it was like the sign I read one time on a business that said, going out of business, everything's for sale. We'll sell everything. Make us an offer. Esau was saying, there's nothing in my life that's not for sale. Make me an offer. There's nothing in my life that's on, reserved only for God if the price is right. Charles Colson told about a Christian businessman who was, who was sitting at this banquet out in California. He wasn't there on a religious, for, on a religious get, uh, reason, but he was there as a Christian businessman. He was talking to this lady who was a Hollywood starlet. And they were talking, he, he recognized her, and they were just visiting, and he, he kind of began to move the conversation toward Christianity. And she knew what he was doing, and she said, you know, she grew up in the Middle West, and she wanted to be a Hollywood star. So she said, when I, when I moved to Hollywood, she said, there were a few things that I had to sacrifice or compromise. He said, she said, I... I I, 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 there's some of the values and some of the teachings of my childhood I had to sacrifice a compromise when I moved out there. She even went ahead without much blushing to say that she even had to sell her own body to make it to the top. And the Christian businessman looked over across the hall, the, the, the banquet hall, and he saw this, this waiter coming in with a tray of food. And he said, uh, ma'am, he said, uh, if that waiter comes over here and says, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you'll sleep with me tonight, would you do it? And she just got so indignant and she just, you know, was so insulted and she said, what do you think I am? And he said, oh, we've already established what you are. What I'm trying to, to do is establish your price. What is your price? Psychologists say that everybody has a price. For a certain price, if the price is right, some people eat worms and insects. Some people, if you pay them enough, if the price is right, they'll sacrifice their sacred honor in their country. And so C.S. Lewis says, we, we mock at honor and we wonder why there are traitors in our midst. And I grew up with a kid, true story, who would eat, if you paid him enough, he'd eat light bulbs, true story. So when he got a little broke and we had a little, want to have a little fun, we'd get this old guy together and pay him a little money, he'd eat a light bulb, true story. I think he died with an ulcer, by the way, but he did eat light bulbs. If the pro what, what we're trying to establish this morning is, is there anything in your life that's not for sale? I mean, Esau said, you make me the right offer and my life is up for grabs. I think that's maybe why some people never come to church. It's because they don't have a day that's sacred to God. So when somebody calls them and says, what are you going to do Sunday? He says, I don't know, make me an offer. And I think that's why some people never get around to tithing. It's because there are some folks that have never had a sacred part of their possessions that, are, that is only for God and no one else can touch. And so... Somebody says, what are you going to do with this money? I don't know. Make me an offer. He's a totally secular person. And he's a silly person. Not only is he secular who will sell his birthright, but he's silly. Now where does this all come from? I want you to turn with me to the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis. And I want to read the record, the account of what the book of Hebrews is talking about. Now hold your place here in the Hebrew, in the text. 
And I want us to just turn over to that 25th chapter, and we'll look at verse 29. And when Jacob, chapter 25, verse 29, and when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. He was hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. Now I want you to catch the play on words here in the Hebrew. What is happening is there, this is actually what happened. He said, Give old red some of that red stuff. I mean, give some of that red stuff to old red. And there's this kind of a flippant attitude here going on. You, you, you with me? But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? He wasn't going to die, but he, he just thought he was, starved to death. And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Watch this. Then Esau despised his birthright. In the word meaning in the Hebrew, it means he treated lightly his birthright. He had a flippant attitude toward it. You know anybody like that? Oh, so what? I have position in Christ. You know, a flippant attitude toward that. What good is that going to do me if I die? You've heard the question before, just ask in a different way. I mean, what good is my position, my privilege and prerogative in Christ? What good does that do me if I'm always broke? Because there's some, seems like that only the ungodly people ever get anywhere in life. I mean, what good is this privilege and prerogative of sonship if I'm not popular because it seems like only the people who compromise those things ever really have any big-time big friends, only really are in the end circle. I mean, what good is that to me? And he took this privilege and prerogative that God had given him, and he treated it with a flippant attitude. You know anybody like that? Now I want you to see the payoff on this thing. Back to the text. He said that he sold his birthright, watch this, for one meal. Now if you have a New American Standard, I said this in the early service and one of the little middle school kids shook her head, she did. So she's with me. If you've got a New American Standard, you'll see the word single in italics. He wants us to see this. And he wants to see it in contrast to something. What he's saying is that he sold his future. He sold eternal blessings for one lousy single meal. And he wants us to put that over here in contrast to this birthright, which was a, which was a double portion of the blessing which was twice as much as anyone else got. And this is what he's saying. He's saying he took that which was his prerogative in sonship and he sacrificed it for one meal. That's a bad deal. I mean, I don't have to be a Harvard graduate to figure that out. That what you get... Whatever it is, 
what you get in payment for your birthright is not worth it, whatever it is. You're still getting cheated. And that's why Paul used the word when he said, for the wages of sin is death. That word wage in the Greek means substitute pay. And everybody in the Roman world knew what he was talking about. For when these Romans recruited soldiers, they promised them one payment, but they gave them another. It was substitute pay. It's the only payment the devil ever pays out. It's, it's a bad deal, whatever it is. And if it's possible for you to forfeit your birthright, that is, the privilege and prerogative you have because of your sonship, whatever you get in return is not worth it. It's a bad deal. And so here was Samson, and for one single night, one single night, he sacrificed the privilege of God. Now, before we wrap this up and tie a ribbon on it and put it back up in the shelf and forget it, I want you to see the result of that transaction. Now watch this carefully. Back to verse 17 of the text. Now, I'm going to see how smart you are this morning. There is a single word in verse 17 that sums up everything we've been talking about. I want you to see if you can figure out what that word is. Verse 17 reads like this, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now, now what is the word that sums up what we've been talking about. You, you figured it out yet? You might say, well, rejected. That's it. He was rejected. No. You say repentant? No. Tears? No. Let me tell you the word that sums it up. It's the word afterward. That sums it up. There's always an afterward. Now, if there is no afterward, Esau made a good deal. I mean, he made a bargain. He got something to eat for nothing. He, he had a night of fun for nothing. He, had a, he, he satisfied a physical appetite and it cost him nothing. If there's no afterward, he had a physical need gratified and, and there was no consequences. But there is always, are you listening? There is always an afterward. On the tissues of the life to be, we sow in colors of our own, but on the fields of destiny, we reap what we have sown. There's always an afterward. There's always a payment day. There's always a time when the great Aziz, when the, when the one who keeps the books stands at the bema and draws the bottom line. I want you to hear me. There's always an afterward. 600 years before Christ, the Greek poet is Sappho, wrote a line of six words that has profound impact when you understand their nature. The six words. At evening time, everything comes home. Now the brighter implications of that statement are these. That at sunset, everything comes home. Cows come home. 
The birds return to the nest, to the roost. Working men find their way back to their families. That's the brighter implication. But that's not what Sappho was talking about 600 years before Jesus ever spoke a word. What she was talking about is this, the evening time when the consequences of our choices and deeds comes home. And there's always an afterward. And God allows us to build the house, but He requires us to live in the building. And you've heard the story of the builder who told his contractor, I have all this money available. I want you to build the best house you can with it. I'm going to Europe for a year. When I get back, we'll talk about it. So while he was gone, the guy fought. Nobody will ever know. So he put the cheapest plumbing, he put the cheapest material in the building, he cut every corner he could cut, laid the worst foundation, and put the rest of the money in his pocket. When the man came home, nobody would ever know. When the builder came home, he said, A surprise for you. That's your house. One stipulation. You have to live in it. And every time he listened to the dripping of a cheap faucet at night, and every time he saw the paint peeling off the walls of his house, he heard the mock, you cheated yourself. There's always an afterward. There's always a reaction to every action. And he was a rich and powerful government official. And because of his position, he could have anything he wanted. And so he looked upon a woman and lusted for her, and he took her. And nobody knew, very few people knew. But his children did. And they rebelled. And he had to fight armies led by his own sons. And his favorite son was killed in one of those battles. And he failed to achieve the highest dream of his life, even David came to discover there is a reaction for every action. Even David understood that there is a, always an afterward. Even David understood that everything comes home at evening time. And I heard about a pastor in this story and I'm out of here. Who had a family in his church and the daughter was rebellious. She'd run off, they'd go get her. She'd run off, they'd go get her. She'd run off, they'd go get her. And they came in, the, the father and the mother, and they agonized with this pastor. Well, their heartbreak. One day she ran off, they went to get her. And they were bringing her home in a driving rainstorm. Their car went out of control and smashed head on into an 18-wheeler. The mother was killed. The father and this girl were seriously injured and her little brother didn't even get a scratch. And this pastor was called to go to that faraway city where this father, this man and his daughter were hospitalized. He went into the father's room first, had prayer, tried to comfort him. 
Then he went into the girls' room. And the preacher said, I don't even have to tell you what that was like. He said, when I walked into the room, the look on her face was followed by her tearful sob. I wish I just had one more chance to say I'm sorry. There was always an afterward. There is always an afterward. And he said that he found no place for repentance though he sought it with tears. Now that doesn't mean that he couldn't say he was sorry and get forgiveness. Doesn't mean that at all. He means that not even tears alter the unalterable. And not even tears reverse the irrevocable. Not even wailing changes the unchanging. There's always an after. Now there's some of you this morning who may be almost to the point of selling your birthright. What can you do about it? Let me tell you. You can make your whole life a sacred enclosure committed only to God. You can make all of your life sanctified to God, not for sale for any price, committed to Him, no one touching it but Him. If you have the, the desire this morning to sell your prerogative, your birthright, you can bring that life and commit it to God and say, it's His and no one touches it but Him. Let's pray. Our Father, Move upon our hearts in the reality of this message. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look here. You can bring your eternal destiny this morning and get a lifetime forever guarantee. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ once you do that. Once you tell Jesus, here's my heart and life, I turn it over to you. That salvation is forever guaranteed. I want you to come this morning give your heart and life to Jesus Christ in the simple act of faith, trust, surrender. Or maybe you need to come this morning because you're one of those that is secular and silly. You've treated lightly your relationship, your sonship, you want to come to say, I want to be that kind of person that puts his total commitment in the enclosure of God. Or maybe you need to come and join the church, whatever God leads you to do. Even a little child knows when God is knocking at his heart. We'll sing two stanzas of this hymn, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, We'll switch to just as I am, two stanzas. We'll sing four stanzas. If you're coming, you'll need to come on one of these while we stand.